Welcome to Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. Ronnie almost just did like a I'm Ron Burgundy kind of moment. Question mark? Uh, yeah. I'm Justin I'm McCord. Justin McCord. <laughs> uh, and you're Ronnie, as it were. So um, I think. So welcome today. Yeah. We're 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 trying to get this through this today. We're on the heels of the first weekend of college football. We're both reeling a little bit. Uh, but we're going to get through it, and we're going to get through it today with a, a wonderful guest, a super pleasant guest, and someone who I think has a lot of wisdom, and that's Eric Tamales. Yeah, Eric, he's the chief evangelist of Virtuous, and we'll unpack a little bit in the episode what that means exactly, but he has such a an interesting perspective from his career path where he started out on the road and started working at nonprofit organizations and in fundraising and then shifted into uh, more of the vendor and agency side. Um, But another interesting aspect, speaking of life on the road, is that he is on the road so much. This is the 36th week of the year, and he's been to at least, I think he kind of lost count, but at least 45 conferences across the country. Uh, But that gives him a really a really unique perspective on he, you know, he has so many conversations. He has a really strong perspective on having an ear to the ground of what's going on in the industry. And another thing that kind of stood out to me is when he worked in the fundraising space, he said he never thought about or focused on technology and it was just kind of a blind spot for him. And now it's, it's such, you know, with virtuous the technology is, is the front and center and it really is in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Ronnie, we, uh, we don't talk to a lot of product oriented folks on here. No. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes that's intentional because we don't want things to turn into a commercial. That's not the point of of these conversations and and so you know setting that aside you know those moments when you wonder about the art imitating life or life imitating art what i really appreciate about eric is i think that he walks the values that his company stands for and he does it so well and he brings this connector mentality to conversations and to relationships. And uh, in our state right now, man, that's valuable. Like this connector mentality of knowing what's happening and being able to say, oh, well, have you met so-and-so? And so so, um, I think that there's tremendous value in that. And so uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit. You're going to hear that in, uh, in how he shares his story and uh, and so without further ado, here is Eric Tamales on Group Thinkers. And so Eric, this is going to be like a job interview. Okay, let's go. Uh, hopefully I get, hopefully I get hired. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you by the uh, end. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll debrief. We'll be in touch. <laughs> wow, I haven't even started interviewing and I'm already getting the, the gentle <laughs> It's all, they're all buying signals, right? They're all buying signals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eric Tamales, welcome to Group Thinkers. Thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah, I'm super excited. Thanks for having me, guys. 
you're uh you are in the pittsburgh area for once yes yes and, uh, i are in pennsylvania western pennsylvania to be specific and pittsburgh is pittsburgh is my home we're gonna we're gonna get to why i even make reference to that here in a moment um i want to start with being what does it mean to be a chief evangelist you are you are your title is chief evangelist at virtuous what the heck does it mean to be a chief evangelist to me and into our team well i mean i have a real title you know I, i'm the director of business development which touches a whole host of different areas within within our system and, and internally but to be the chief evangelist it's kind of be my opinion is i spent the last 20 some years in the front line fundraising uh and obviously virtuous is a technology solution that's helping grow global generosity for for organizations to do better things more efficiently and easier and when i was in the space serving in the nonprofit i honestly never looked at technology and i and i and i regret it for for a long time and so to be out there on the road and you quote unquote evangelize to my peers and my nonprofit leaders is to say hey look at what else is out there we need to consistently, you know, change and look forward and grow and to look ahead. Um, and I did everything else I could when I was in the space changing, but I didn't do it around technology as often as I as I probably should have. What what was the triggering moment that made you think differently about technology? And and maybe even back up a little bit, unpack what it means by you didn't ever look at technology when you were a frontline fundraiser. Oh, well, I mean, I was just comfortable with where we were, right? With all the different systems that, that we, you know, you, no one ever got fired for buying IBM is the phrase, right? That we always heard, right? And we have an IBM in our nonprofit space, and we use that for a long time. And, you know, that's where I was. But I think the tipping point for me when I jumped into to Virtuous was, I mean, you guys know me well. I mean, I, I'm very much into this networking and connecting and, you know, and, and getting along with me, meeting as many new people as I can. Um, and in the middle of the pandemic, being a social being stuck in my house, you know, I did a lot of Zooms and a lot of networking with folks around the world that I've never met. And I was randomly introduced through a friend of mine to, to Gabe Cooper, who is the founder and CEO of, of Virtuous. And in a 20 minute conversation, I, I jumped in and was like, hey, I want to, I want on your team. I know technology. I don't know it as well as I should, but I've come from the frontline fundraising. But this concept about responsive fundraising, I was enamored with like day one. And, and so with an individual like my background is I made a little over 4,500 face-to-face visits, uh, traveling all over, asking for gifts and the whole thing. And I was like, I don't know where I would fit in, but I went on your team. And sure enough, I led one of the sales teams and managed a whole sales team. And all these tech salespeople were like, who is this guy coming off the road who has no tech sales experience managing us? But I know intrinsically, it's harder to raise money for a nonprofit because it's focused in on donors' trust of that you're gonna do good with their funding and, and, and gift to make sure that your impact and mission has grown. And honestly, it's easier to sell a widget. And, and I had to break that down with our tech sales folks of you know going through a process and building a relationship and teaching what our people in the nonprofit space feel on a daily basis. And it works, it worked. Hmm. Eric, I'm curious if you could, uh, just for our listeners, 
talk a little bit about what you mean by responsive fundraising. Yeah, absolutely. So responsive fundraising to me uh, into into this co- core concept here at Virtuous, this is our core methodology that leads into our technology. Um, and so you, you think through when a donor makes it their first time contribution to an organization, well, what do we do, right? What, we call them, we thank them, we well screen them. We, we want to go into why someone is giving to our organization. That's very much what I would call reactive fundraising. And so responsive is this core methodology, as I mentioned, and it's it's all of the technology systems within an ecosystem of a nonprofit that holistically talk to one another. So our home base is our CRM, our marketing online giving, automation, all the different pieces. We have a whole host of a technology suite. So when someone does donate, we actually know why. We can put them in a new donor journey series. And it's very much like, you know, like Netflix, right? Or Apple Plus or any of these streaming services that when you finish Stranger Things or or I have other shows like Hijack, I just finished. And it, it suggests another series based on your personal preferences and what you just watched. And so when you bring it into even like the core of a household here at, you know, in my family, I'm a digital person. I give online. I give, I I read email. My wife is an offline person. She is male, writes checks, you know? So like, even though the household is two of us, both in the same generation, you can have that personal hyper and focused multi-channel approach and you can do it at scale. And and that's this core mindset of of responsive. So. Uh, it's fascinating that your your path, man, has just has mm-hmm. brought you to this place of being right. uh, an evangelist and a, an ambassador for tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, as you said, that that is not your how you cut your teeth. Right. Uh, so let's go all the way back to I think we started in uh working at sigma nu right you were you were a part of so you were i'm guessing you were sigma nu in college yes sir yep oh yeah and then you went to you know as it were the mothership and so you were working for the fraternity uh on on a national scale and that's where you started to learn fundraising and so talk us through the journey from there up until 2020 like where what was that Mm -hmm. path like for you to get to uh, yeah. the ambassador of tech that you are now. I love it. I love it. All right. Here's the story. <laughs> the, uh, we're buckled up. We've, we've, we've got our, yep. all of our safety belts are on, so we're ready. So I, uh, <clears throat> I went to Duquesne University here in Pittsburgh, did become a Sigma Nu, was a brother of our chapter here at Kappa Delta. Um, I had the opportunity when I was a senior in college to serve as one of the four underclassmen on the national board of directors. So there's about 10,000 undergraduate members. I was one of the four that I got a taste of what a board life would look or board of directors would life would look like as an undergraduate. Both my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife. We've been together over 20 some years too. Um, the, we both wanted to go to law and business school. And so that was our path. We got accepted. We wanted to do all the things. But at the last moment, my senior year, I basically had this moment of like a, like epiphany. I was like, we both can't go to law and business school at the same time and both be broke. One of us needs to get a job. And so we made this deal back then where it was like, OK, she goes for the first four years and then we'll switch out after four years. I'll work somewhere and, and everything else. And so, of course, giving back. I grew up in the 
the fraternity space is very much to me like the Boy Scouts where I grew up in. And so like community, helping others, taking care of each other, very much like an alumni group. And uh, and so I took a job on, on the fraternity staff and it was actually really interesting was I don't share this story that much as I took a job as one of those traveling consultants and uh, that would go visit chapter to chapter, work on, you know, membership and alumni and, you know, fundraising techniques and recruitment, all the things, right, going from house to house all over the country. And my region, I'm going to call it the Northeast with air quotes, was Maine to South Carolina to Chicago. And so me and my Nissan Altima were driving, I don't know, 40,000 miles and, you know, about three or four months. And to be honest with you, I, it was like I would go house to house and I would get a phone call maybe two months later from someone saying, hey, thanks so much to Miles for being here. You helped us with recruitment. But I already forgot about them. And I lost that relationship because I was already on to the next chapter and doing all those different things. And I remember in like I think it was December or January at that point. I, this, I actually quit. I, I walked into our executive director's office and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, it's just not appealing to me as a human because of the, you know, the relationship. And so as I was we're based in Lexington, Virginia, so my, and my wife was going to case up in Cleveland, I'm driving through West Virginia and I get a phone call from the president of the foundation. It was like, hey, I have an opportunity for you. I'd like you to turn around and come back. And so I turned around in West Virginia and uh, and had this conversation with James Owens, who is our president at that point of the foundation. And he's like, well, I want to change our foundation up and I need your help to do so. And so our foundation is the oldest in the Greek space. It was founded in like 1944, 1945. Um, and from 45 until 2001, we were very much a leadership giving principal gift manufacturing, Right. We only focused on 30 people that gave six and seven figures to our foundation to fund all our leadership and educational programs for our organization. And I just didn't have a good taste in my mouth about that because we had we were one of the largest fraternity foundations, I think, or fraternity organization. I think we were top four at that point, top five. And uh, we have 200,000 living alumni, right? And so we were only asking 30 people to give to our foundation. And so I, with a couple other friends, we came up with this concept of doing mid-level giving that today's buzzword back then it was something brand new was which took this major gift cycle of building a relationship, cultivating, asking and stewarding all in a 45 minute meeting with a, with a prospect. And so we turned it into a kind of like a sales metrics focus with philanthropy on the side where we met 250 to 300 people a year asking everybody for a gift on the first visit for $25. And then we upgrade them to $83, which is $1,000 a year. Um, but then if we could close 40 to 50% of that 250 to 300, those are brand new people that got them in the act of giving. And so um, turned it into a process. And in, this, in the 2000s, our, our team, I think we visited with at least six or 7,000 uh, new prospects and new donors, which are still, I just was with them with the other day and like they're on our board, <laughs> you know, they're active, they're giving, they're still in, you know, all these people that we started 20 years ago, you can see where they, where they've gone today, today. Um, but yeah, Sigma Nu had me on the road way more then than, than today. So I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. The, uh, I don't well, know, but there's been, there's two or three years. I think I, I made over 410 visits face to face back in the Man. 2000s. Yeah. That's so. that's a it's a lost art of the traveling salesman. It really right. is. Mm -hmm. Uh this so this methodology like 
frankly, that became business school for you, right? That that methodology around mid-level is what ultimately took you out of, uh, you know, from Sigma Nu into the agency space. Yep. And, and so as you're doing this, you're doing this with some peers who's speaking into your life. Like who, who are you looking at and trying to, uh, model any of this work after, or is this you and your peers just like pass fail? We're trying new things. We're succeeding in some areas, which, which version was it? A little bit of all of it, right? Like we still, it's funny. I talked to a lot of our peers today and, you know, we go back to, you know, the Cy Seymour's, the books from the sixties and the seventies are the foundational of everything that, you know, we do at fundraising today. The Jerry Panis is right. That actually wrote the book on asking, um, like all those people kind of set the tone, but then there, we had the change makers around us. So like, even we're at Sigma Nu, we had a group of people, if you know, the fraternity space, all the fraternities and sororities all have the same missions, same methodologies, same challenges, but they have different constituents and they don't compete against each other, right? Because we want to grow the Greeks movement together. So what we built with Sigma Nu and Delta Sig and a couple other different organizations, we turned it into a small little business, if you will, um, and then moved on to an agency as you, as you referenced. But back then it was actually interesting. It was like, I remember my first donor trip and the way we did the trips where you, you know, fly in Tuesday, fly home Thursday, you do that three or four times a month, um, make 10 to 15 visits in that time span. Right. Um, but back in 2002, when we didn't believe email was going to be a thing, right? Like we thought email was just a fad. Um, I would send out all these emails to the Houston alumni and anybody that opened the email got a phone call from me because I can track the open rate. And then mm-hmm. anyone I got a visit with, I would go into the article, the, the, the email and say, so there's three articles, right? Or three new pieces, A, B, and C, scholarship, leadership, involvement, whatever. And if whatever they clicked on and read was the topic I would have a conversation with, in person when I was knee to knee with it, you know? So that stuff, I mean, revolutionary, you know, then and today, yeah, right. Right. Like it's totally gone 10 different directions today. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. So the, but that's why I had a 70% close rate because we were leaning into all those different things, meeting with the right. You were looking at these, these data points and making decisions off of them. Yeah. To what extent does, you know, does that frontline experience that you have speak into some of the responsive fundraising mechanics that that we see with the product today? Like a face-to-face, like within this, our system? Is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, just like your relationship with the product team mm-hmm. and uh, and and what you either have experienced yourself or uh, as you're out evangelizing what you're bringing back from the field? Like, what does that, what does that look like? Oh, that's fantastic. The, uh, we have, we have a couple of different things within Virtuous. We have like the voice of the customer where we listen to our, who our customers are and what their interests are and where we want to go. We have our own product roadmap internally so that users can, you know, upvote or downvote or say, see what's out there. Um, Internally, what's really unique with Virtuous is most of us come from the nonprofit space, from all different 
phases of the space, right? Like I was always front of house. I couldn't run, I couldn't manage a database, um, but I was always in you know, the external leadership and everything else. But we have people in all different facets around the nonprofit space internally. So we all get together and say, hey, we should do this. This is what I was always done looking for, whether it's like how to pull a report or how to do a, you know, a, a major gift pipeline or a moves management pipeline, you know, all the things. So we're always communicating there. And then the unique thing, the backbone of our of our technology is this idea about automation. And, you know, it's the coolest thing about it was Gabe came up with this concept like five years ago, six years ago. And now everyone's doing automation and leading into it. So now we have, and I'm not going to unveil it today, but we have a whole host of things that we want to bring to market that are way more forward thinking, you know, leaning in on some new things that are kind of come out there. So uh, we want to be the driver of new ideas rather than primarily listening to our people, right? So 40% yeah, will come from for customers, sure. people, but 60% will come from looking ahead. So Eric, I'm curious, we've told, we've kind of alluded to this, that you spend so much time on the road, so much time going to different trade mm -hmm. shows or meeting with different clients and everything. How do you, I guess, how do you decide how to build that schedule and where you're going to be? Because yeah, you're, you're all over the place. And I imagine all the inputs that you're taking from that is going into building the product and all these different things. How, how do you kind of call that schedule down and in, in your, your road warrior life? Yeah. The, uh, it's interesting. Like we look at it at a couple different angles, you know, one, where can we have the you know biggest opportunity, you know, right? Because we're still, I mean, how many nonprofit organizations are within our space? I think in the last number I saw was like 1.4 million nonprofits, right? And so we're just, we all can work collaboratively as partners, as vendors, exhibitors, whatever you want to call us. Um, and so I'm, I primarily look at places where, where our partners are, where we have the biggest opportunity to spread joy and talk about this idea of growing generosity through our responsive fundraising um, and then working backwards off of that. And so, yeah, it's been, there's been a lot this year. I think we, I mean, me personally, I've, I think I've been up to at least 45 or 48 conferences or shows or presentations this year, um, which has been great because just we're back, you know, we're, you know, I don't want to say we're post COVID or past the pandemic, but I think everyone wants to get that, need any experience and shake hands and see and like have you know have that conversation again so um we choose our our where we're going where we have the the best opportunity for for success but also to where our customers are right and so um that's been our, our backbone and, and where our partners i'm sorry real quick this is week 36 of 2023 just so that we're all keeping count this is week 36 and you just said 48 so like 45, far, 48, I think is what it is. Yeah, somewhere around there. It's it's been fun, and then September is just bonkers for me. So yeah, Ronnie, this is why he's the road warrior. This is why he's yeah. I wanna, like the airline miles must be fantastic, right? I mean, <laughs> they're good. And I think that's the other side is like, um, I mean, I've lived on the road in my entire career. So I mean, the airline yeah. miles, and say, I mean, it's that really a thing, like. When I was managing our health system here in Pittsburgh, I was off the road for three years and, you know, I, it was great, <laughs> you know, because like I could like settle down and be, be called. But I still had those perks with the lifetime status. And yeah. my wife and I, what we've decided this year leading into it is every four or five weeks, she's going to travel with me somewhere. 
And so we were just together for for a conference and she came down for the weekend and we're now planning a trip for for California here in a second. And so um, she doesn't want to go to, you know, like, you know, Indianapolis or, but she'll go to Scottsdale. She'll go to DC. There you go. But I love Indianapolis. It's one of my favorite towns. (laughs) Oh, Indy's great. Indy's Mm -hmm. fantastic. So when you, when you think about, you know, these, all these lessons that you're learning, all the takeaways that you're getting. I mean, you know, frankly, 45 opportunities to have some sort of experience that can help shape the way that you, um, the way that you see the space. Sitting here as we're getting into a very exciting and high stress season for Mm -hmm. fundraisers with year end on the heels of one of the more challenging years that we've seen in the nonprofit space in some time. Frame for us your outlook on the near term future. Near term might be 12 to 18 months, et cetera. Like, what do you think that, what are you hearing and what do you think this, uh, this is going to look like over the course of the next year? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And like, and I'll bring it back to even the things we're doing at Virtuous, because I think that's honestly the solution. You know, you're right. Like you look at the, the FE, the fundraising effectiveness project report, you look at, you know, the giving Institute, you know, what just put came out and, and where trends are leaning and you're seeing, it was funny. I was talking to a friend of mine last week and we were like, what does the donor pyramid look like today? Is it a real pyramid, right? Like not really. Is it a sky? It's more of a skyscraper because you have all these major, major donors that are giving and no one below. I still subscribe to the donor sombrero where you have a lot at the top and you have a lot or a few at the top of giving a lot of money and a lot at the bottom. And but there's no one in the middle. How do you trans- take someone from a hundred dollar gift to a ten thousand dollar gift? And we always forget about that middle. Um but it's different because I, mean, I think that's where I see the next 10, 12 to 18 months is out there is hyper-personalized, doing it at scale, doing it efficiently. You know, I remember being in the space and I was told we have to do more with less, you know, like you can't hire a headcount today because of the great resignation or migration, whatever you want to call it, and put them in the seats as we did 20 years ago, we would hire gift officers all day long to get out there and, and build those relationships. but with the t- opportunity of technology and AI and well screening and behavioral data and predictive analytics and all the different, you know, lookalike donors that are in our systems. How do we, we, our donors are in our, our systems and it's how do we cultivate, how do we connect, how do we build those relationships, appreciate them and take them down that donor journey to become those future major donors. And I think that's where virtuous can help solve that problem for them. And that's why, yeah. and frankly, that's why I'm out there. That's like one of the, my motors. You know, that's why I'm out there because I, I, I'm worried about our, our, our industry, you know, in the next couple of years, what does it look like? Do people get burned out? I tell fundraisers all the time when I present, it was like, you know, cause it's, it's nice and, you know, everyone's, it's glamorous, like seeing us and the tech space and agency space out there doing good for our communities, but the work our leaders need to be doing in their communities and staying in their fields and focused on this idea of donor retention because at the core of it, staff retention is the key indicator to donor retention because it's all about relationships and it matters for them to stay there. That's very well said. I mean, the, the you know, it's time to stop scrambling. You know, I think that we're, we've had 
We had our uh, reactive season over the last couple of years. And now as we're coming out of that reactive season, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, not to play into y'all's bit, but it is time to be responsive and to, to stop scrambling. And and yeah, I think that you're right. I think staff development is a major part of that. I think that if we can find ways to solve for the um, some of the wellness factors for fundraisers and marketers, nonprofit marketers, I think that that will help so that you can have a continuation of a long term strategy as opposed to cycling it over and over and over, reacting to what's in the moment. Um I hope that we're out of the worst of it, but you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves for year end. And so, um, we need to give ourselves, saw something this morning, uh, that, you know, we need to practice both high accountability and high grace. Mm. And I think that that's a good way to think about what, it, what does the, what do we want this to look like during year end? Yes, yeah. we have high expectations, but we also give ourselves a lot of grace on the the choices that we're making. So well said, too. Yeah, and it, and it always bothers me, too, just thinking, like, it shouldn't be all about year-end or, you know, whatever it is, because it's it, we have to be that donor-centered. We have to build the relationships throughout the course of the year to be able to do I Yes, absolutely. People do give more at the end of the year, but it's if we can be able to focus in on it throughout the course of the year. I think it's we can be much more successful as an industry. Yeah. Well done. Well said, man. I appreciate that. So um, what's uh, what's one tip that you would give to our listening audience on uh, how they're walking through the remainder of of 2023? Ooh, there's a lot of tips, Justin, to probably focus in on there. Um, never miss an opportunity would be one. Right. And it's like I love. I love asking whatever it might be, connecting, asking, figuring out what, you know, why, what, how people can give to our organization in, in other ways, right? Like be creative. It doesn't have to be financial. It could be, you know, in kind or, you know, opening a door, being a testimonial, right? Like all those things matter um, toward getting, building that network and influence around uh, our ecosystem for our organizations. Um, the other is like, you know, a friend of mine just posted on LinkedIn, a, a phrase I shared with him. I was like, don't forget to eat the pie. Um, it was it, the mindset is, you know, celebrate today, celebrate where you are. Um, you know, I, like I said, I travel often and, you know, I try to do an experience in every city I've been, you know, fortunate to be at every baseball stadium in the country. I go to a lot of museums. I do a lot of, you know, libraries. I do a lot of the different things in the community. Um, it, to keep myself going. And I think we have to, you know, take Stephen Covey's habits, seventh habit seriously of just sharpening the saw, you know, taking a pause, breathing, you know, focus on the wellness, right? Like we talked about, like, and just celebrating where you are in those small little victories, um, because it's going to be a, a long journey this, in the next four months. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Eric, I appreciate you taking time to chat with us today, man, sharing a little bit about your background and, um, some some wisdom from all that time in that Nissan Altima. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got rid of that and I've got a plane now, right? <laughs> <I'm not laughs> I, I like to imagine 48, uh, 45 conferences in 36 weeks in a Nissan Altima. That's... <laughs> How many miles did that Altima get when you got rid of it? 
I think I when I sold it, it was like 150,000. It was it was up there, but it was all you know back in the day. It's all road miles, right? Highway miles, right. It was yeah. Like Prime yeah. condition. I mean, that it's uh, in itself is like that. It you learned a lot, right? Like it was six days on. Every two days, you're at a new university. Saturdays, I had the day off, which meant I could go to a laundromat, get a six pack of beer and watch college football um, and, and then go on Sunday, go to the next place. Right. So um, you learned, like you said, Justin, it was like an education in itself, graduate degree uh, of just knowing how to communicate to people and how to, you know, stay motivated. When you when you write your memoir, I need it to either be titled or subtitled. I turned around in West Virginia because that phrase is going <laughs> to hang with one. me. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I turned around in West Virginia. So yeah. All right, man. It's uh, it's great to chat with you. Thank Love you it. for for spending time with us. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, including how you can partner with RKD to accelerate growth for your fundraising and nonprofit marketing needs, visit rkdgroup.com.